Now, if you have your Bibles, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to read just a few verses from this lovely portion of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Two words in verse 3. Consider him. Now dear friends, if we had been living in Victorian times in the city of London... There were two outstanding preachers. In the city temple, you had the great preacher, Dr. Joseph Parker. And in the great tabernacle, you had Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And they were two of the most outstanding preachers at that particular time. Dr. Joseph Parker and Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And whenever visitors came to London, they were advised, go to the city temple in the morning and here the great Dr. Joseph Parker. And then in the evening, go along to the tabernacle, and here the great Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And there was an American visitor who did exactly that. In the morning, he went along to the city temple, and heard the great Dr. Parker, who was a brilliant academic and was a brilliant preacher. And as he was leaving the city temple, the American visitor was heard to say, My, what great arbitrary! My, what great eloquence! He was swayed by the arbitrary and the eloquence of Dr. Joseph Parker. Then in the evening he went along to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the great tabernacle. 
He preached to 5,000 people in the tabernacle in the morning and 5,000 people in the tabernacle in the evening. What a convocation. Think of it. 5,000 people morning and evening that would gather to hear the great Spurgeon. So the visitor went along to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon and as he was leaving he was heard to say these words by what a wonderful saviour is Jesus Christ in other words as he listened to Spurgeon he lost sight of Spurgeon and was captivated with the saviour that Spurgeon was speaking about what a wonderful saviour is Jesus Christ and I have been praying for this meeting dear friends and my prayer has been simply this that when I'm finished this morning and you're leaving the church you will not say by what a great sermon we had if that's the case or by what a good speaker Stanley is if that's the case but rather all of you without exception may leave this meeting saying what a wonderful saviour is Jesus Christ and dear friends if that happens then my work has not been in vain for I have not come to speak about myself I have not come to speak about a church I have not come to speak about the new beginning church I have one aim, one purpose one objective in coming this morning and that is not to preach myself but to focus your attention on the greatest person of all the person of Jesus Christ and dear friends if you get a glimpse of him then it will be worth the effort of coming this morning now take these words consider him you have no difficulty in remembering those two words consider him what is so unique about Jesus now when you speak of uniqueness you must remember that uh, there are no degrees of uniqueness it's, it's quite wrong to speak of very unique or degrees of uniqueness a thing is either unique or it's not a person is either unique or not in other words when we speak of uniqueness we are speaking of something in a class by itself there is nothing like it it's unique and when we speak of Jesus Christ God's son we are speaking of someone in a class by himself there never has been a person like him before 
And there shall never be a person like him in the future. He stands of all time as unique in a class by himself. What is unique then about him? Then let me try within the next 20 or 25 minutes to bring to you the different aspects of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And I can do this in five ways. Now some preachers come and they give you three points. Well, I'm going to be generous this morning. I'm going to give you not three, not four, but I'm going to give you five. And if I spend an hour on each point, well then that's going to be five hours, wouldn't it be? Oh no, friends, just a little insight into these five characteristics of the uniqueness of our wonderful and lovely Lord Jesus. First of all, we're going to see, never man was born like this man. Secondly, we're going to see, never man lived like this man. Thirdly, never man speak like this man. Fourthly, never man died like this man. Fifthly, never man was resurrected like this man. And there are the five things that show to us conclusively the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus. First then, never man was born like this man. He wasn't born the way you were born and the way I was born. He was virgin born. Joseph had no say, had no part in his birth. By a wonderful act of God, our Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was incarnated in flesh. John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Now when we speak of the virgin birth of Jesus, we're not speaking of the immaculate conception of Mary his mother. That is not scriptural. Mary was not born without original sin. Because here's what she said. My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. If she was born without sin, she did need a saviour. But she realised that she was a sinner. So we're not speaking about immaculate conception of Mary. We're not speaking of supernatural conception. Because Isaac was born to Abraham when he was a hundred years of age. And when Sarah was ninety years of age. He was supernaturally conceived in the womb of Sarah, but he wasn't virgin born. John the Baptist was supernaturally conceived in the womb of Elizabeth and was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but he wasn't virgin born. When we speak of the virgin birth of Jesus, we're speaking about a miracle that happened in the womb of Mary. The Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So that makes him unique. Never man was born like 
this man. And then secondly, never man lived like this man. And because of his virgin birth, and because of his incarnation in flesh, and because he was a son of God, then we come to something wonderful. Here's someone who lived for 33 years and never sinned in thought, never sinned in word, never sinned in deed. He was perfect. He was sinless. The Bible says he knew no sin. The Bible says he did no sin. The Bible says and in him was no sin. He was the perfect man who moved amongst humanity and was sinless in thought, sinless in word, and sinless in deed. He was perfect. Surely that makes him unique. Never man lived like this man. He was sinless. You're not sinless. I'm not sinless. But here was someone who could say to the scribes and pharmacies, which of you convicteth me of sin? They didn't accept the challenge because they couldn't. They scrutinized him, they examined him carefully, but they could not find any fault in him. And even when he stood before Pilate, Pilate had to confess, I find no fault in this man. You find a fault in me, dear friends, and I will find a fault in you. But you will never find a fault in my Savior, my Lord. He's sinless, he's spotless. He's stainless. What a saviour we have this morning. Never man lived like this man. Impurity amidst impurity. But then notice, never man spake like this man. On one occasion, the scribes and pharmacies sent officers to arrest Jesus. They went and they heard him speak. And then they came back to the scribes and pharmacies and they asked him, Tell me, why have you not brought him? We sent you to arrest him. Why have you not brought him? Here's what they said. Never man speak like this man. As they listened, they were captivated by what he was saying. Because here was someone who was speaking with authority, speaking with power, speaking with unction. Do you remember after he gave that great sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7? It says these words. The multitude were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes now why does Matthew say that not as the scribes well 
if you'd have lived in those days, went along to the synagogue, you would hear this. Up would stand a rabbi, and he would say, what I, Rabbi so-and-so says this, Rabbi so-and-so says that. In other words, they refer to the great rabbinical teachers. But as they listened to Jesus speak, he never said, Rabbi says this, or Rabbi says that. He says, but I, but I, but I say unto you. And they, they were conscious. Here's someone speaking with authority. And that as the rabbis. Take for example, dear friends, his claims. Now let me very be honest this morning. I do not like people that are always talking about themselves. Do you? Of course you don't. Very egotistical. Me, me, me. I, I, I. What I'm doing. Where I've been. Where I'm going. I don't like that type of person. Always being about themselves. But listen to Jesus speaking. What do you find, friends? He was always speaking about himself. And yet we don't seem to take offence. He was always making claims. Now, what would you think of me if I stood up this morning here at Moody's Bird New Beginning Church and if I said, Now, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman comes unto the Father but by me. Now, what would you think of me standing saying that? You may say it's time for the men with the white coats to come and to remove him. The cheek of him coming from wisher, the audacity standing there and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I make it a claim. What would you think if you said, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never hunger. If you believe in me, you'll never thirst. What would you think of that? And if I said, I'm the resurrection of life. If you believe in me, you'll never die. And if you do die, well, I'll raise you again to life. What do you think of me? Oh, send it back to Ireland where he belongs. <laughs> Making claims. And yet, dear friends, those were the very claims Jesus said. And yet, every claim he said and made, he could fulfill and does fulfill. And when he said, I am the way, the truth and the life, there is no other way but him. It's not the church it's not the Pope, it's not the priest, it's not the preacher. We come through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His claims. Never man speak like this man. Is any wonder it says the people heard him gladly? 
They didn't need a dictionary dictionary to know what the Lord was speaking about. He was simple. And they understood him. Now are you getting this about his uniqueness? Never man was born like this man. Never man lived like this man. Never man speak like this man. But never man died like this man. Oh, you say suddenly, are you wrong there? Never man died like this man? Surely there were people that were crucified before Jesus was crucified. And there was. And Stanley, do you not remember that when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves on his left and right hand side, and they also were crucified, the same as he? How could you say then, never man died like this man? Yes, dear friends, there were many who were crucified before Jesus. And many who were crucified after Jesus. When the Romans took uh, Jerusalem in AD 70. They crucified 3,000 people. Thousands were crucified. But listen to this dear friends. When Jesus was crucified. It wasn't just his crucifixion. It was the reason why he was dying. And the Bible says he was dying as your substitute and my substitute. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed Dear friends, he was bearing your sin and my sin and he was bearing God's punishment on your behalf and my behalf that we might be saved and redeemed and forgiven and go ultimately to heaven. His death was substitutionary. That wasn't true of the two thieves who were crucified with him. Or those who were crucified before him or after him. Never man died like this man. He's taken the sinner's place. Remember he was sinless. He was spotless. He was stainless. Yet blessed be his name. He loved me and he loved you that much. He says I'll take his place. I'll take her place. And I shall bear their sin. And I shall bear God's punishment for them. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Bearing shame and scoffing root. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Never man died like this man. But there dear friends. This is most wonderful. Never man was resurrected like this man. 
Ach, you say, Stanley, you've made a mistake again. There were people who were resurrected before Jesus. Ah, that's true. It was Jesus who brought Lazarus from the dead, and he was dead for three days. And he brought him back to life, that's right. And then you remember Jairus' wee daughter, 12 years of age, he brought her back to life. And you remember the, the widow of Nain's son, he brought him back to life. They were resurrected. Ah, but they all died again. Lazarus died again. The wee daughter of Jairus, she lived, but she died again. The widow of Nain's son, he died again. You see, they were raised, but they died again. But when our Lord Jesus rose again on the third day, here's the great truth. He's never going to die again. Here's what he said to John of the Isle of Patmos. Read it in Revelation chapter 1. Here's what he says to John. I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of Hades and of death. They're dangling at his golden girdle the keys alive forevermore. Yes he did die and they buried him. And the third day they went along, the big stone rolled away, they went in, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. What happened? God raised him from the dead. Now, you die, friends, because of your sin. I die because of my sin. But our Lord Jesus, he was sinless. And when he paid the sinner's debt and bore God's punishment for him, he died. But you see, it was not possible, the Bible says, to hold him. Death could not hold him. He had to rise because he was sinless and spotless. And the the big stone was rolled away, not to let the Savior out, but to let the people in, to see it's empty. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Never man was resurrected like this man. He's never going to die again. And today, he is exalted. He's at God's right hand in heaven. The center of heaven, because the Lamb has all the glory in Emmanuel's hands. He's the center of heaven's attraction. Oh, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Consider heaven. Now you're probably saying, well, Stanley, that's all wonderful. That's all true, what you've been said about. But, but that happened 2,000 years ago. But here's the good news, friends. Here's the good news. That we today in the 21st century can get to know this wonderful Savior. He's not just a figure of history. But he's a living reality today. And we can get to know him. 
They tell me, do you know him this morning? Are you saved? Are you converted? Do you know anything about him? Do you know Jesus? Because that's the wonderful plan of salvation that when we call upon him, we get to know him. Do you know him? Do I know him? You can't answer for me, and I can't answer for you. You can only answer for yourself. Do you know him this morning? Is he your saviour? Is he your friend? Is he your redeemer? Oh, you said that's what I, I know him. That's good. But tell me, let me ask you another question. Do you love him? Do you remember the question that the Lord, the risen Lord, put to Peter? They were having a little breakfast around the fire, and then the Lord said to Peter, and here's the question Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? More than these? Then, what if the Lord was to ask you that question and ask me that question? Let me use Sunday. Sunday, I know Sunday. Sunday, do you love me? The Lord's speaking to you. Sunday, do you love me? Uh, Graham, if the Lord was to ask you, Graham, do you love me? I don't know many other names, but there's just two, I think. So. Oh, yes, there's Margaret down there. I haven't seen Margaret for a wee while, you know. I'm glad to see her. And the Lord will say, ask you, Margaret, Margaret, do you love me? They tell me, friends, how would you answer the question? How would you answer Do you love him? Now, he didn't say, do you love the church? Or do you love the Christians? Or do you love the Bible? Oh no. Oh no, do you love me? You can love the Bible without loving the Lord. And you can love the church without loving the Lord. Do you love Christians without loving the Lord? The question is, lovest thou me more than this? Now, let me get a wee bit technical here. The Greek word the Lord uses is agape, agape. But when Peter answered the question, he didn't use agape. He used phileo, another Greek word for love. You see, Peter was being honest. Ah, oh, there's no pride here. He's learned this lesson. Lord, love, lovest thou me? I can pay. Oh, no, Lord, I, I can't get to that standard. But, uh, Phileo, I love you. The third time the Lord asked him, Lovest thou me? And the Lord dropped the word I can pay and used the word Phileo. And Peter was grieved. The Lord asked the third time, Lovest thou me? But let me say something, and I say it very graciously. There's every possibility with Christians that we get to love the work of the Lord more than the Lord of the work. And when that happens, that's very sad. 
Yes, by all means, love the church. Love the Christians. Love the believers. Love the Bible. That's wonderful, friends. But uh, surely there's only one person you should love above everybody else. Above your wife. Above your husband. And that is the love of Jesus. You get to know him. And you get to love him. Just reading a thing. It was last night in Philippians chapter 3. But here's what Paul says. He says that I may know him. Then he said, wait a minute Paul. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have been a Christian for 30 years when you wrote that. 30 years have come and gone since he was saved on the road to Damascus. And yet after 30 years he says that I may know him. Surely Paul in 30 years you've come to know everything about him. Ah no friends. Paul realized there were heights he's never scaled. Depths he's never plumbed. There's length and breadth and depth and height he knows nothing about. Oh Christian. There's no end to it. There's no end to it. That I may know him. And here's the good news. Even in eternity. We shall never, 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 never come to the end of comprehending his greatness, his majesty, his glory. Oh, you should exhaust to be a mortal like me. In a few hours I could tell you all about me. But not the Lord. Oh, not the Lord. He's inexhaustible. And for all eternity, we shall see vista after vista after vista of his glory. And we shall never, 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 never come to an end. Because there is no end. He is infinite. He's inexhaustible. You can't plumb the depths. You can't scale the heights. Is any wonder John you didn't put it so beautifully when we have been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun with no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. You get to know him. Christian, get to know him. And then Christian, get to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your minds. And here's what C.T. Studd said, the famous cricketer who gave up a fortune and went to be a mission in India, C.T. Studd. He says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, there's no sacrifice too great that I could make for him. And listening to the service on the radio this morning, get my breakfast, and they had two hymns. And both of those hymns moved me to tears. I was crying as I listened to them. I was broken as I listened to them. Here's the first one that I heard and it, it, it reduced me to tears. Take my life and let it be. Consecrate it, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow. It's ceaseless praise. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? 
that God would take your life, take my life, and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Then the other hymn they had was at a Wesley's hymn. Oh, I get moved when I, when I, when I hear Wesley's hymn. Charles Wesley, he wrote over 6,000 hymns. And someone has said, if they were to take the Bible from every Christian in Britain, and this book was prohibited and we couldn't have a Bible, it has been said that we could survive spiritually on the hymns of Charles Wesley. Why? Because they contain truth and doctrine and teaching. Now, we choruses, they come and they go. Nice little tune, but there's not much to them. Some of them I, I refuse to sing. They're not scriptural. But all oh, the hymns of Charles Wesley. And the hymn they had on this morning. O thou who camest from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love on this main altar of my heart. Still let me guard the holy fire, and still stir up thy gift in me. Oh, what theology, what teaching, what hymns. Get into Wesley's hymns. After his first anniversary of conversion, he sat down and he wrote this hymn. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the triumphs of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Oh, for a thousand tongues this. But dear brother and sister, you have not a thousand tongues. You've only got one tongue. Use it. You use it for criticism. Use it for gossip, perhaps. Use it to glorify the Saviour. The Sabbath says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Saviour. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let me conclude, dear friends. It was a great preacher. I just forget his name at the moment. It's just left my memory. But he said something wonderful. And listen very carefully. In every Christian, Jesus Christ is present. Because you can't be a Christian without, help, without that. He's present in every Christian. But then he said, in some Christians, he's not just present, he is prominent. And then he says, but... It's few Christians. He's not just present and not just prominent, but he is preeminent. They tell me, is he just present in your life? Is he just prominent? Or is he preeminent? Now then, you Bible students in Buddhist word, you should know this. You only have the word preeminence twice in the Bible. And if I were to ask you to put your hand up, tell me, could you tell me? Two times you have it in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, concerning Jesus. That in all things, he may have 
the preeminence. Ah, but you go to Thor John and you read of this character. His name was Diopathes. And John said of Diopathes, he loveth to have the preeminence. In other words, he was top dog. He was the big man. Everything centers around him. He loved to have the preeminence. My dear friends, listen very carefully. If Jesus Christ had the preeminence in your life, you don't. But if you have the preeminence, he doesn't. They tell me, which is it? Does he have the preeminence? Or you? The choice is yours, friends. You can't have it both ways. Let me give you another script before I sit down. And this is one of the the most amazing things that Jesus ever said. And he said to the church at Laodicea. Now listen carefully. This is staggering. He says, I would that you were either cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Does the Lord want cold Christians? Yes. Does he want warm Christians? Yes. In other words, Jesus says, be one thing or the other. Don't be in between. In other words, he would rather you be cold than lukewarm. He would rather you be hot than lukewarm. Make up your mind, friends. You cannot be where you're either cold or you're hot. But for goodness sake, let us not be lukewarm. So that when we see him in the glory, and thank God the day is coming in which we're going to see him, then it'll be wonderful to hear his words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now you might forget the sermon. Surely you can't forget it. The two words, consider him. But you do so for his name's sake. Amen.